Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Jessica Van, founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group and host of Reach. Today, I am super excited and delighted to welcome Rachel Kaufman to our program. Hi. Good afternoon to you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having good. me. Good. Good. We're really, really happy that you could join us. Thank you so much for being our, the spokesperson of Venture Capital, <laughs> which is oh. a, loft, a lofty title. <laughs> but I, I will shortly share what it is that, that Rachel is here to speak with us about. But, um, but that's a little bit of a prelude. So Rachel is the operations manager within Sousa Ventures. It's a role that she morphed into after previously supporting the founders of SUSE as their, both their executive assistant and office manager. SUSE Ventures, for those who don't know, is a modern seed venture capital firm based in San Francisco that really defines itself as sector agnostic, meaning that they make investments in all areas of the, you know, of the, of the business landscape. So that could be enterprise software, fintech, logistics, healthcare, uh, consumer goods, or even frontier tech. Their portfolio includes such notable companies as Expanse, Robinhood, Flexport, and a personal favorite of mine, Parachute. Um, I recently went to town on their linen bedding, and I have to say, um, it's amazing, and no, they are not even a sponsor of this podcast. So this is this is a one hundred percent me speaking. So what are we talking about today? If you're a loyal listener of Reach, and we certainly hope that you are, you know that we've featured several executive assistants who support the movers and shakers of tech. But until today, we haven't had a guest on to discuss what the EA role looks like within venture capital. And so I'm particularly excited that Rachel is here to represent that demographic. As I said, she's the spokesperson today of, of venture capital. So um, really excited to have you to the program and um, to speak to this area, which you know so well, because even prior to SUSE, you had worked in, in finance and in venture for several years. So we'll be addressing questions like, how can you take ownership of your role and drive your destiny as an executive assistant in venture? Um, as well as things like what hidden opportunities are there specifically within the venture capital space for executive assistants to be able to bring more leverage and value to the executives that they support. To start us off, stereotypically speaking, many people think that the executive assistant role within venture capital can be, quote unquote, more traditional with responsibilities like calendaring or travel coordination or expenses, meeting agendas, conference room, prepping, things of that nature. Is this an accurate assumption of the role, or do you think this is a somewhat limited perspective on what the EA position within venture looks like? Um, so I'm from the Midwest, and I feel really rude 
saying this, but um, it is a limited perspective. Um, obviously, in a more corporate VC, the experience may differ from my experience at SUSE, but a small VC is not too different from a startup. You have to wear multiple hats and the team is really scrappy. So I had to expand how I operated and learn to support the founders of SUSE, also known um, as general partners or GPs. And while learning that, I had to understand what it meant to support portfolio founders who are the humans behind the companies that we invest in. Um, there's always been more of an operations tint to the role than what I'd experienced in private equity. Um, and I think that that's really common in smaller VCs. Can you expand upon that a little bit more about what you encountered outside of kind of the standard quote unquote responsibilities that I, that I elucidated earlier? What are some of the maybe more operational things that you mentioned that you, uh, that you touched? Yeah. So, I mean, of course, calendaring, scheduling, that's really important. Um, but a huge aspect was managing our CRM, tracking the deals that were coming through, um, and then also engaging with founders on support, making sure that if they needed support from one of the GPs um, and they were unavailable for immediate phone call, that I was prioritizing that. Um, because at the end of the day, when it comes to venture capital, um, the founder really comes first. Um, and so, you know, expenses or travel coordination, that's going to always come kind of secondary to making sure that that founder is taken care of, that nothing is slipping through the cracks, whether it's a founder we invest in or not. I think that's really important insight, Rachel, about the role of general partners and really the role of the venture capitalist in supporting the growth of its portfolio founders and um, of its portfolio companies. So I think that that's maybe not always understood to those who are not within the industry, but um, one, and I'd love for you to expand upon this, but I think one of the really key things is that venture capital firms, it's not as though their investment or their involvement in those portfolio companies stops once the money has been exchanged, so to speak, right? It's, it doesn't stop mm -hmm. at the funding round. It's an ongoing and continuous relationship. Um, and, and how you manage that relationship and how they become really wedded and um, invested in that founder's growth and in that company's growth is really everything, right, when it comes to um, ensuring the success of those companies and also, you know, hopefully ensuring return on investment and, and all of those important things. So maybe you can kind of speak to that about the different ways that portfolio companies and um, and founders might interact. I'm sorry, founders of, of within venture capital might interact with each other. Yeah, so really everyone on our team interacts with founders on, on various levels, um, whether that's operations or finance. Um, they also have access to every single investor on the team. And we do that on purpose um, so that every area of expertise across the team is available to every single founder who may need it. And so, you know, as a founder grows, we try to identify, you know, what they may need within their portfolio company. So, you know, as we experience this downturn, that looks like, you know, having a fireside chat with really um, 
senior experienced LPs who have been around the block, you know, through the dot-com boom and before um, and, and experiencing letting the founders ask them questions and get guidance. Um, or maybe it looks like getting discounts set up so that as you know, they're getting off the ground and they're hiring new people, every single penny of runway matters. And so if we can save them a few hundred dollars a month on X, Y, or Z software that they want, mm-hmm. um, then we're going to do our best to do that. It's trying to make sure if they get to C, they get to A. If they get to A, they get to B. Um, those are the series, the stages of growth. Um, and at the end of the day, whether we do follow on investments with them or not, the goal is that we want them to succeed. Um, we want to build that relationship and we want to ensure that they have a favorable view of SUSE regardless of the outcome of their company. Yeah, I think that's really well said is it's, it's about supporting them, whatever that looks like, and whether that's a pep talk or access to the right people for advice, um, or it's, you know, supporting them at their most vulnerable stages, whether that's conserving cash or whatever the case may be. So when, when it comes to what the executive assistant does in relation to those, to those things that you just mentioned, how does that, how does that get layered on into this? Like what would, what would the role of the EA be in, in some of the things that you just described? Um, because SUSE is so small, um, it was a team of five when I joined. Um, and that's why there was the operational tint to it. Um, however, the majority of that for the traditional EA within venture is going to be on connecting the dots. Um, so if a founder emails and says that they need support operationally and you're not an operations uh, expert, making sure that you funnel it to the right person or the best investor on the team to answer the question. Beyond connecting the dots, um, there's a level of curiosity that has to be maintained. You have to constantly educate yourself on what it is that the portfolio companies do and what they need, who they work with, so that when you're connecting those dots, you're also learning and you can better, more efficiently support the founder and the investor in the future because you have to ask less questions. Um, And you can, at some point, start to operate mostly autonomously, um, and that removes a heavy workload off of the the general partner or investor that you're supporting, while also ensuring that the founder feels comfortable coming to you instead of directly to the investor as well. I love that. I think that's a, a great and very insightful example of how EAs become really an extension and really become a relay point for communicating information, resources, bridging the gaps, Um, I think that's a really, really good example of that. So going back to some of these differences, um, how would you characterize in your, in your experience and in your view, the differences between working for a venture capital firm versus for instance, an operating company as an executive assistant? So in a traditional company, your executive is the most important person in the world. You're the gatekeeper. No one gets to them without your permission. In VC, portfolio company founders are top priority, period. Um, And then it's also much more laid back. In my previous companies, it was 
very corporate. Um, at SUSE, I have two general partners known for showing up to meetings in flip-flops. Um, and so I think the, the, the work at the core is the same. You need a lot of the same skills. Um, but you need to be able to take the work seriously without taking yourself too serious. Um, the way that we look at it is that life is stressful enough without enforcing traditional corporate pressures. Um, and so while you have to be fastidious in your work, you need to be capable of interacting with the most stiff of limited partners and on the same token, the most laid back and inexperienced of portfolio founders. So it's all about being flexible and open. One example that you shared with me, which I thought was really interesting and insightful about kind of, um, I hate to use the word pecking order, but that's the word that's coming to mind, but sort of, the, let's say hierarchy of, of importance, right? Um, you shared with me an example of, um, you know, when it comes to scheduling, right? Who comes to who? And some of the differences that might be observed in a venture capital firm where you're supporting a partner versus, for instance, if you're supporting an executive in an operating company. Can you, can you share what you shared with me? So in venture capital, as I said previously, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and the founder is always going to come first. So one of the other differences here is that we will be flexible to meet their needs. If that means that we are trying to close a deal and that founder wants to meet with one of our general partners for three hours to discuss terms and understand what makes SUSE different than a different company, then that's going to happen. We're going to prioritize that. If that means that you know someone has to get up much earlier than they want to or take an evening call, then that's going to happen as well. Um, because at the end of the day, we don't exist without founders. And so as important as our own um, time and well-being is, it has to take a back seat from time to time. Because when it comes to winning deals, we have to be the less important person and there can't be any ego involved. That makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that when 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 you consider what the role is of an executive assistant, right? I mean, fundamentally, it's to really optimize for whatever is important to your to your person, right? Whether that's a partner, whether that's an executive, or whoever that may be. And so, first and foremost, it's making sure that their time aligns to what is most important to them. And I think that one of the really key things that you that you very effectively point out here is that in venture capital, you really live and die by the founders and the portfolio companies. And I mean, as you said, we're really nothing without the founders and investments that we make. And so unlike maybe in an operating company where you live and die by the shareholders or you live and die by your customer base or your partners or, you know, whatever entity you're, you're really trying to appeal to in venture capital, your product, so to speak, quotation marks is, is those founders. It's the, it's those portfolio companies. So as an EA, obviously that's going to trickle down to you because whatever is, you know, whatever is being driven, um, 
in terms of need on that front is really where you where you need to respond and and align. So that that makes a lot of sense that um, that it's really about pivoting their time and their focus to those founders and those those deal opportunities first and foremost. Yeah, um, and I I mean I don't want to say that LPs are not important to us. Of course, our LPs are important to us. Um, but at the same time, the only way they get money back from us is if the founders that we invest time with are successful, um, because that's the, the circle of life, if you will. Um, and so even for the LPs, the founders are important. Um, and oftentimes, you know, instead of asking the LPs to help us, we're asking our LPs for specific asks that our founders have, support that the founders need. Um, and so that's part of it too, being able to speak with the LPs and ask them for support for specific needs that the portfolio companies may have. Um, but all that to say, everyone's important in the ecosystem. It's just that um, the person who is at the top of that pyramid is the founder. Sure. That makes sense. And for those who don't know who are listening, can you just quickly explain what an LP is? Ah, yes. Um, so LPs are limited partners. Essentially, um, the way the chain works is that the general partners, the founders of, founders of SUSE, say we want to invest in these venture businesses. Um, they go and they raise money from limited partners. Uh, these may be endowments, family offices, wealthy individuals, um, what have you. And then we take that money that they give us and we invest it into founders. Um, over time, as those companies become profitable, we see returns on that investment. But it's a very long-term relationship. And that's another reason that it's so important to from the very first day of interaction with a founder, build a strong, healthy relationship because this is a long-term seven, 10 plus years relationship. Um, and so in the instance of a company like Robin Hood, who you mentioned, um, Chad Byers, um, a general partner and founder of Sousa Ventures, he invested in that company, this is public record, $250,000 to start. Um, and that was back in 2013. They only just IPO'd recently. So again, you know, we followed them from seed all the way through IPO. Um, and they're our first company to go to a true IPO. And then they're no longer technically in our portfolio. But that's a long road to exit, which means that it's really important to have that strong relationship. Um, but we wouldn't have been able to make that initial $250,000 investment if we didn't have money from our LPs to start with. That is so well said. Yeah, it, it is. This is the definition of the long game for sure. And I mean, that that's a perfect example. You said that that investment came in, did you say 20, 2010, did you say? 20, 2013. 2013. Okay. So we're nearly 10 years out. We're about 12 years out from that. So that really does um, it really does suggest kind of how, how long and also how windy this road is, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot that a company goes through 
from inception, which is really where you guys get involved. I mean, we mentioned this in the intro, but SUSE is, is involved at the seed stage. And, and so I think that you've just given a lot more perspective on what seed means. I mean, it's, it's really, it's the inception of the company, it's early stages, beginning stages. So to really think about that and keep that in perspective as to all of the twists and turns and development and growth and problem solving and um, strategizing that has to happen on that road, I think that really frames it well and, and puts it in a perspective that a lot of people can really grasp. Um, I'd love to talk about Parachute. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just, I just do love them. Um, okay. So thinking about the different things that your partner is involved in, right? We talked about this a little bit. You've given us some good examples of the types of situations or you know, advisory um, situations that may come up. Um, communicating with LPs, things of this nature. But if we look at kind of the breakdown of where a partner spends their time, a lot of it is vetting new um, new opportunities to invest. Um, it could be on the fundraising side, um, which would also be the LP side. It could be helping with more of the community um, management and, and community work in terms of managing the community of your portfolios. It could be planning events. Um, it could be, like you mentioned, you know, chasing different um, different potential investments, updating the CRM, kind of task managing on that front. So there's a lot of different things that compete for your partner's focus. Can you talk about in some of those examples? Again, what does the EA have to do with with each of those types of scenarios? Um, the short answer here goes back to being willing to learn, staying constantly curious and learning how this person operates so that you can take the wheel as much as humanly possible. Um, because it's, it's always going to be different relationship to relationship. There's no right answer that's going to fit every single partner or investor. Um, and so I think the, the, the thing there is if you have an interest, you're helping an executive or an investor with something and you do X, Y, or Z task to have the comfort and confidence to go to that executive and say, hey, I really enjoyed doing this thing. It's something that makes me tick. I would like to keep doing it and expand. Um, and because venture in general, the culture is very open. It's very collaborative. Um, we all sit in on deal flow meetings and have the opportunity to voice opinions on companies. Um, and so there's no magic sauce to getting access to deal flow and understanding how your partner thinks about certain sectors. Um, and the same with liaising with LPs. It, it's organic. It just happens as a function of being on the team. Um, and then over time, as you're planning annual meetings or hosting events, the LPs become more comfortable coming to you directly. Um, if they have a question, they know you support the general partners. So they'll just ask you and then hopefully you can answer the question without bothering the, the partners because you've been paying attention and you have the answer because 
you know how they operate and what's in the pipeline. Um, and if not, you know who the best person to direct it to is. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's I think it's hard to unpack, you know, exactly what an EA does in, in every single one of those scenarios. But I, I think that, as you said, you know, kind of high level, um, I think you need to be, and this is true of so many things in life, but really just being a student in in every aspect of of what you do, right? So um, being observant, being inquisitive, finding the finding the gaps, finding the opportunities to provide value or um, streamline something, be be of help, be of service. But that really does require that having that that student mentality and that that ob- that observation hat on at all times, um, because I, I really do think that. And again, this is true of most things that opportunities aren't necessarily presented; they are hatched by you. Mm-hmm. There, there are things that you uncover because you're so astute, because you're paying attention, because you know what an opportunity for you, right? To, because you're in these these pitch meetings, and you guys are talking about what you're considering investing in as a company. You're, you know, that's the chatter that you're surrounded in, and so it's really up to you. Are you going to tap in and and really? become an engaged student or are you just going to kind of, you know, stick to your lane and, and your role in that case stays pretty small, right. And stays kind of, kind of finite, but um, it really is, it really is up to you and it really is incumbent upon you to, to engage in that way. Exactly. I mean, when I first joined venture capital you know, I was coming from private equity, their finance is finance to a certain extent, but private equity venture capital is night and day. Um, And so one of the first things that I did was start reading books and listening to podcasts about venture capital. And I still read books and look up blogs and try to understand the changing landscape. I never heard of Web3 like many people until recently. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm, you know, as we start evaluating companies in the Web3 space, it's really important for everyone on the team to understand what it is um, so that if we do or when we do invest in these companies, we understand the challenges um, that Web3 faces, for instance. Um, And of course, that's a small example, but it's, the example. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that segues nicely to um, my next question, which is, you know, how were you able to really elevate and expand upon your position at SUSE? As I mentioned in the intro, you started as the executive assistant and office manager, and you're currently in the role of operations manager. So how did how did that come about? And I'd love for you to, to share your story um, of your path to path to this promotion. Um, so it's it's a mixture of asks and gives, I will say. <laughs> um, but I'm constantly curious and I don't like to keep an empty plate. Um, and above all, I'm data driven. Um, so if a question was asked of me, Um, I'll look at our procedures and ask how we can get the answer, but then also how can we keep that answer handy moving forward? So I 
with continually creating systems, um, instead of saying in an ideal world, we would do X, Y, or Z, I would try to make that ideal practice an internal protocol. And over time, that meant that I got more analytical and big picture requests that gave me an eagle eye view of SUSE in a way that I didn't previously have. I was giving you know, getting access to emails and other data that I didn't previously have. And then COVID hit. um, And I no longer had an office to manage. Mm. And that's where the give starts to happen because I wanted to fill my plate. And so I started talking with our head of operations, Natalie, and um, she started giving me more projects and I was spending much more time working with her and supporting founders than I was on taking on EA stuff. And then um, the next step was that she went on maternity leave and I had to be myself and her while she was gone. And it really forced me to expand much more rapidly. Um, And the great thing was that I was not set up to fail and I was given the freedom to be imperfect at times. And because of that, I was able to stay in an operations role um, instead of being, you know, asked to shrink back down to size, um, which was, you know, really special um, to have been granted the freedom of growth. And I still do EA stuff from time to time. Um, It's not, anything that I shy away from, but it's not the meat of my role. What a great quote unquote COVID story. Um, I mean, I, I think of, of, I love stories of, you know, from the ashes kind of thing. And this really, to me, is such a great um, example of a successful pivot. And particularly, you know, as you said, like your role was, was kind of faced with absolution. Um, you didn't you didn't manage an office anymore. What do you do in that case? Um, I really love the the resiliency in this story, and also just the resiliency in your own skill set and your ability to um, to adjust and and to find those opportunities and and find those blind spots in a business. And I really really believe you know having done so many of these the shows and and listened to so many people's growth stories, I think that's really a, a very common theme is, you know, finding the blind spots and then being able to articulate a case for how you can address those or rectify those. And that may not always lead to another entirely different position. It might just lead to growth within the role. But I, I think that that's where staying power and that's where interesting things happen and, and converge is is where you find those kind of latent opportunities and you and you bring them out and you expose them and to your to your point and to the credit of your of your founders they were also supportive of that and and you know wanted wanted to see you succeed in that way but I love that story wonderful story so now that you're in this role how how is your role different what what do you focus on I spend my time on events uh doing educational boot camps um and founder support um whether that is discounts, like I mentioned before, 
or finding more tailored solutions to problems. Um, you know, if, if a founder is looking to get intros to other operations professionals so that they can expand or um, maybe a lot of PR support, um, which is new for me as well. I don't have a background in, in PR or marketing. So managing social media and then helping founders with their own social media uh, takes up quite a bit of time. Um, I'm currently rebuilding, redesigning a brand new website for us in the background. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of background things, which is kind of fun. Um, I'm very forward facing with the founders, but almost no one else knows who I am. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you save your front and center moments for podcasts, right, Rachel? Exactly. I'm EA famous. <laughs> EA famous. That's great. So what's kept you in, well, venture slash private equity slash finance all these years? What is it that, that you really enjoy and feed off of from this space? Um, so... Again, the Midwest guilt here. I feel guilty to say this, but I hated private equity. (laughs) Um, And before (laughs) I left the last private equity firm um, that I was at, I spoke with one of my colleagues there about how I was feeling. And she told me that what I needed in her viewpoint in order to be happy was a company that had a mission I could believe in. And that's something that VC offers. It's not a nonprofit. Obviously, there's money involved, but it's so human forward. Um, and there's there's a joy in that. Of, I mean, of course, there's VC firms that are more like private equity firms. The larger VC firms are pretty corporate. Um, but the beauty of a smaller firm like SUSE is that no one can really have an ego because there isn't space in a small team for drama or infighting, um, which is all this to say it's easier to feel like you're part of something and that your contributions are seen and appreciated, even if you're in the background, as I am, versus ensuring that your name is on everything that you touch. And um, that brings me joy. Yeah. Well, and not maybe this is a like Captain Obvious question, but I don't actually know the answer. So I'd love for you to shed some light. How is that different than private equity? So in private equity, it's it's much bigger dollars. And you're buying these big companies where the founders are not necessarily even involved anymore. Um, it's more like you have a board and a CEO and these other high-powered people that no longer, not in every case, I don't want to sound harsh, but they don't always see everyone else, including the EAs that they're interacting with, as human. Um, Mm. There's a lot of harshness. um, And the founders that I interact with in venture capital are so kind and so humble and the LPs that we work with, you know, even though they are working with an incredible amount of wealth, they have to be in order to invest, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's the same. They're these kind, gentle humans and to be 
contrasting the two of this corporate stiffness with this human centric um, situation. And they're, they're both working towards similar goals. They're investing in companies and helping them grow. Um, but that smaller scale, um, and there's this hope that if we connect with the founders early and I get to know them as humans, I'm always thinking to myself, I hope that this person never changes. I hope mm. that this founder is going to IPO and still be treating the EA the way that they're treating me now. And especially this is, I'm, I'm sure, all the more true in the case of Sousa that does these seed, seed investments. I mean, this may not be as true in some of the venture capital firms that, that fund, you know, Series D and E and F and onward um, rounds of funding where the companies are, are quite a bit more established already. But it, it sounds like at this stage, you're really in the business of of, of granting dreams, right? And, and granting wishes and, and really you're funding somebody's passion and, and their dream and their vision and, um, and their hopes. And so there is this element that I, now I totally understand the, the point that you're making. I mean, private equity is much more like turnaround situations or we want to, you know, we want to go international or it's, 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 it's it's catalyzing additional growth, but it's not necessarily activating somebody's dream um, from the beginning. And that's those are very different things, as you as you point out. Exactly. And we also I have to plug this. <laughs> it's it's a lot of times in private equity, you're looking at the company and that's it. You can replace the team running the company. You can get rid of that CEO. You can replace, you know, management. In in venture capital, you are investing just as much in the founder as in the business that they're building. And sometimes you're not even a hundred percent sold on the company. You you're, there's some kinks to work out, but you are sold on the human or humans behind the company, and that's where the conviction comes from. Mm. And, and that's another huge difference that I never had imagined before joining venture capital. Yeah, that's really inspiring. I, I love that. And I, I mean, who doesn't love a good human interest story and a good story that, I mean, everyone wants to get behind and champion somebody that's, that's going after their dream. I mean, there's just something so beautiful and, and wonderful and, motivating about that. What were the founders like of Parachute? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, um, that investment was, you know, in place. Prior to your of time? Okay. Taking off prior to my time. Yes. Um, however, I know that one of our GPs, the lead on that deal is very close. Um, there was a just pre-COVID, he was going to go to a baby shower and he came into the office with a huge bag of parachute goodies. And that was one of the only times I was jealous I didn't have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the trade-off, free linen, it comes with a lot of strings attached, you know? So. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, um, a final question for you is if you had the opportunity to support anybody in the world throughout the course of history, 
who would you choose to support as an EA and why? There is this woman named Robin Wall Kimmerer. Um, She's an environmental biology professor and the founder and director of the Center for Native Peoples and Environment. And she is a stellar nature writer. Anyone who knows me knows that I am obsessed with all things nature, Mm. especially botany. Um, And I'm really in love with the way that she teaches about wider ecological consciousness. And so I'd really love to learn from her and support her various missions, which are vast. Mm. Um, And I think to do the work I love while feeling connected to the environment in some way would really be the dream of all dreams. You mentioned that you like to be a student adventurer and you like to listen to podcasts. Just in, in our as we close out here, are there any things that pop into your brain that you might want to share with our listeners that, that might help them get a little bit more acquainted with the industry? Um, so a pretty great one is VC American History. That is what it's called. Um, it's by okay. Tom Nichols. Um, and it's it's a really great recap. It doesn't require too much of uh, an understanding of venture capital, but it really goes through um, to tell the story about how VC rose within the United States um, and how it gained its orientation towards entrepreneurship. Um, So that would be a great one for someone looking to dip their toes into the water and kind of understand. I love that. That's great. That's a great starting point. Well, Rachel, I have had a lovely time connecting with you today. And I think this is a really insightful look that you've provided about what really goes on in venture. I think that it's, it is for many, I think somewhat cloaked, right? As far as what all goes on and what are the different moving parts and who gets involved and in, in, in what way. And I think this has been a really revealing um, overview, at least of how SUSE functions and and how you've been able to navigate within um, within that 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 realm. Um, so thank you so much. I think this has really just been terrific, and I really appreciate your candor and all of the different insights that you have shared today. Thank you so much for having me. I also had fun. Well, good. That's the goal. (laughs) Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.